somehow lost his shoe um, in the process. Uh, our scripture for today is in, from, Paul, or from the letter to the Romans, chapter 10, verses 4 through 10. Here are these words. Because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, therefore, when Jesus comes into the world, he says, you didn't want a sacrifice or an offering, but you prepared a body for me. You weren't pleased with entirely burned offerings or a sin offering, so then I said, look, I've come to do your will, God. This has been written from me, about me in the scroll. He says above, you didn't want and you weren't pleased with a sacrifice or an offering with entirely burned offerings or purified offerings, which are offered because the law requires them. Then he said, look, I've come to do your will. He puts an end to the first to establish the second. We have been made holy by God's will through the offering of Jesus Christ's body once for all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The very word sacrifice has become much more metaphorical than it used to be. Uh, people talk about sacrifices a lot, the sacrifices they make for their children, for their family, other things like that, but I don't see a lot of like lamb's blood on people's doors or turtle doves exchanging hands a lot nowadays. It's usually like a metaphorical sacrifice that we make for people. But in, in, in the Old Testament, we have descriptions of religious sacrifices, and there was a lot of them in the ancient world, but the ones in, in the Old Testament are specific to Judaism, and it's not the only one that that had them, but it's one of the few that actually adapted away from the temple sacrifice after the temple was destroyed after Jesus' resurrection. But in, in the ancient practice, practice, as specified in the Bible, people would take a goat or a turtle dove or, or their grain and take it to the temple and give it to the priest, and the priest would ceremonially, ceremonially kill it and, and serve it and cook it, and then the priests after that would have something to eat. But the point of the sacrifice was not found in, in just the lamb or the turtle dove. The lamb and the turtle dove, they don't have any religious value in and of themselves. Um, there's nothing significant in them. It's, it's the offering that is given. It's because people wanted to keep them. You don't want to give away your best lamb. <laughs> you don't want to give away your best cow or, or the first fruits of your harvest. If you offer your best lamb to God, that means you cannot enjoy it. You cannot cook it and feed your family. If you offer a grain offering to God, that means you cannot make bread with it and, and cook and, and feed your family. To make a sacrifice is to let go of something that actually matters to you. You can't sacrifice something that isn't good. We see a different kind of sacrifice in, in the movie The Rescue about the 2018 Thai cave disaster where there were 12 boys and their coach who were trapped a few kilometers into this cave because the monsoons came early and the floods came and they didn't know how to get out. We've been talking about this the past few weeks and we're almost to the actual rescue of the story. In this clip, we're going to watch what the, kind of the process to get one of the boys out. So we talked about last week how one of the process to figure out was they, were, they had to take an anesthesiologist who was a cave diver back to the cave and begin. That was the only way that they could rescue the boys was to give them anesthesia um, so that they couldn't um, panic and, and go into shock and they were able to get out of the cave alive. So when we start this clip, the boy has already been sedated 
but now they're taking him on the final journey, and they don't know what is going to happen. But they're willing to do this. They're willing to leave their lives behind to go and do whatever they can to save these kids. When you go back to the final flooded section, that was always the hardest sump to go through. You could fit through with a kid on either side. You had to push him through first and then you went through after him. And then as you approached chamber three, you'd hear the humming of the pumps. I surfaced with a boy, a dozen hands there, ready to take the, the child off you, straight into another stretcher. Kid number one's alive, breathing. I think that was a, a huge morale boost. I surfaced in chamber three with my child. Relief. They got him out. <laughs> One of the things that's always so shocking for me is when, when you're watching and like it's so dark in the cave. It's like it's just daylight outside, and that's one of those like when you're in a cave, it's 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 just the the world around goes on. And, um, but they got him out! Yay! <laughs> My friends, we are continuing our series on the rescue and looking at how God rescues us, how God saves us. We're trying to understand the language of salvation in a fresh way. How salvation is not just a state we are in, how we are saved from something and saved for something. We began the series talking about what salvation is, how salvation is not just a future thing, but how God, God is offering us a new life here and now. Then we talked about where we are and why, why we need salvation. And, and it's, it's nothing if we don't admit that there is a need, if we don't admit where we are. Last week, we talked about what we can do to be saved and how we can sometimes be our own worst enemies. And we, sh we showed the clip from the movie about how they had to actually knock the kids out because to be awake and through that process, they can actually damage everyone around them. They can get in their own way. We need grace. We need Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about how we are saved now, I wanted to show this clip because it gives you like the full method 
of how the kids are saved in the movie, and it's very complicated. And so the first step is they take the Mr. Mr. Harrison, the cave diving anesthesiologist, which is a pretty unique set of skills, and um, he, he goes back and he gives the kids the first round of of injections, and then there's another one of the, the cave divers, takes him about halfway out, and then they have to give him another round of sedatives um, so he doesn't uh, become conscious like midway through the last exit. And then they get all the way to the, the third cave, and then there's a team of, of Air, Air Force Special Operations officers who are there to pick the kids out of the water, and then there's a team of about 200 Thai Navy SEALs who pull them all the way out of the cave into the ambulance, which is where like our standard healthcare um, process is going on. One of the preparations they show in the movie is called an ROC that the Americans bring in, which if you're a veteran, you may have been aware of, and it's called a rehearsal of concept. And they go through again and again, I think they spend three days practicing what it takes to, to do this, what it takes to sedate the kids, what it takes to go through all of those aspects, the dry walkthrough to make sure that when the time comes, everybody is ready. It's a big operation, and they even go into it. There's about 6,000 different things that could have gone wrong. <laughs> um, but, but they make it out. They make it out. In the Bible, it is important to realize that throughout the whole of the Bible, starting with you know, Genesis in the very beginning, there are a lot of different models and images of what salvation is. The Bible is not just this one image um, offered from beginning to end. But there's different, different models, different ideas. We see a clear one with Noah. Noah is a, is a salvation story. Um, not many people get to be saved with Noah, though. Um, his family's in good luck. His family's in good shape. Um, the animals, some of the animals, two by two, but that's, you know, there's a lot of rabbits left out of the two by two and, and other animals in that kind of sense. And so there's a lot of remainder with, with Noah. The same thing at the, in the Exodus story with, with the Hebrews being saved out of Egypt. There's a lot of remainder left over. The Passover, the holiest day in the Jewish year. But the Passover was also, it didn't feel good to be an Egyptian on the Passover. There was a lot left over. When the Red Seas parted and the Hebrews were able to go through and then they closed over and the, the Pharaoh's army drowned, it didn't feel good to be in the Pharaoh's army. There was a lot of remainder there. When Joshua leads the people into the Holy Land and, and they, they walk around Jericho and blow the trumpets and the walls come a-tumbling down, they, don't, they aren't greeted as liberators as they enter Jericho. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel good to be a citizen of Jericho whenever the Hebrews come in. There's a lot of remainder to these stories. Next week, we're going to talk about who deserves to be saved, but these models are important. These are, these are ways throughout scriptures that could be how we understand salvation. But then we get to Jesus. How does Jesus save us? The English language is, is unique in one of the ways it describes how Jesus saves us with this word called atonement. An atonement is a theological word, and it, it's, it's English. There's no other language that has a word like atonement. They usually talk about like propitiation, which isn't as fun. But atonement is, is literally at-one-ment. Um, how it is, it is reconciliation, how God reconciles God's self to us. Now, it, oftentimes in common parlance, atonement has this kind of like deep 
um, resonance, like atonement, like a seriousness about it. Uh, but it's, it's really is that how does, how does one be, we become one with God? And there are a number of theories about this. Usually in the Christian speak, it has to do with what goes on on the cross. How does Jesus save us on the cross? Now, one of the earliest theories about this and, and writings about this has been termed like Christus Victor, a ransom theory. And it understood Christ's sacrifice as a ransom uh, paid to the devil who is the Lord of the world. But the sacrifice is almost like a Trojan horse because the devil thinks he's getting this kind of like holy dude. And he's like, ha, I got this holy dude. I'm going to corrupt him and send him back into the world. It'll be great. But it's actually God. It's like, ha, surprise, I'm God. And the devil's gone. It loses his power. Um, I don't think there's a, a joke out of it, but I think it could be kind of funny. Uh, there's scriptures that back this up, including Hebrews 2.14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he also shared in the same things in the same way. He did this to destroy the one who holds the power over death, the devil, by dying. Now, another theory about atonement, about how Christ saves us on the cross, is called moral influence. And this came about the Middle Ages by a guy named Peter Abelard. And he basically claims that the cross changes our behavior because there in the crucified Christ, we come to understand something of God's love for us. This love motivates us to change the way that we live. And there are scriptures that back this one up too, like Romans 5 eight. but God shows his love for us with this. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's that showing, God shows us the love. Or in 2 Corinthians, he died for the sake of all so that those who are alive should live not for themselves, but for those, but the one who died for them and was raised for them. Another theory is the satisfaction theory, or sometimes it's presented as called penal substitution. If you have been a part of a non-denominational church, you've probably, or a Baptist church, you've probably heard that kind of language. It, it came around actually the same time as moral influence in the Middle Ages by a guy named Anselm, which I think is just a fun name. I have a buddy whose kid is named Anselm. Not too many Anselms in the world, but um, here's, a, here's a summary of the satisfaction. We have all robbed God of the honor that is due to God. For that honor to be fully repaid, something greater than all creation needs to be offered in compensation. Our situation is that serious. No one but humans must pay it, but only God has the power to. Only he could offer something so valuable that it is the equivalent to everything in creation. The debt is total. The obligation to pay it is total. The power to pay it is zero. What better solution then that God should become human and that in that human nature pay the debt? God is fully himself, both in his justice and in his mercy. Fully expressing both attributes at the cross, resulting in an all-sufficient solution to the human predicament. The main scripture for this comes from Hebrews chapter 10. I read part of it earlier, and then it kind of continues. But when the priest offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down on the right side of God, and since then, he's waiting until his enemies are made into a footstool for his feet because he perfected the people who are being made holy with one offering for all time. It's the oneness of Christ's offering. Christ has done it all so that we don't have to. In seminary, these are often presented as competing notions. This is the kind of, when you're geeking out in seminary, it's like, oh, what atonement theory do you have? Um, when you're or going through ordination, in the Methodist church and probably in most congregations, like one of the questions is, what is your atonement theory? How do you understand Christ's salvific work? 
Now, I think these, these questions are really important. I wanted to lay them out because it's not something to be kept away from people. It's not just something for preachers to talk about. How Christ saves us matters. How we think about God's love for us matters. You don't need to go to th- seminary to think about how Jesus saves us. How we are in need and Christ offers himself for us. Contemplating who God is for us can offer us depths of joy and purpose that, that we cannot find in the rest of life. But when we come down to the cave of our own life, when we come down to wherever we are right now and however we feel trapped or alone or in need, when we come down to sin and our need for grace, these theories don't save us. Jesus saves us. As one of my teachers said, look, if you need a series of truths to convince yourselves that Jesus has been raised from the dead, worship those truths, don't worship Jesus. There is no prior claim and understanding of salvation or life or purpose than Jesus Christ. There's no theory or model or, or ethical system or empirical system prior to who God is for us in Christ. It is a radical position in a technical sense. Radical is not just for like California surfer dudes. It it gets to the root of the matter. It comes from the Latin word radix for root. And so if there's a radical change, you're pulling out the the plant roots and all. If it's a not radical change, you leave the roots in. And if you do that with nutgrass, you just keep on getting nutgrass over and over again. You need a radical solution to nutgrass. There needs to be a radical solution to, to Christ's love for us, to where we are. A radical change. The radical faith of Christianity is that there is no substance or idea beneath Jesus Christ that we can stand on. Salvation is not found apart from this. The point of the cross is not to give your life meaning, but to give you life. It is not about finding yourself, but getting out of your own way, getting out of the cave in which you find yourself so that you can see the light of the real world, the light of the kingdom of heaven, the light of Christ that calls us to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, turn away from destructive ways. You don't have to do the things you used to do. You don't have to do the things you think people expect of you. You don't need to continue in paths of self-destruction. Repentance means turning around. It means realizing that you have gone a long way on a road that's not leading anywhere. And you may not want to feel ashamed about turning around or admit to the people in your life, it's like, gosh, I've been going the wrong way. I've got to change directions. But you are free to do it. You have nothing to prove Christ has offered himself for us. Christ saves us by ransom, by influence, by satisfaction. Christ saves us by going all the way to the cross. It is a sacrifice, a giving up of something good for something greater. In this season of Lent, we need not overcomplexify what is already beyond our comprehension. If we could understand fully Christ's love for us and the power of Christ on the cross, we would already be God. We don't need, though, to become cave divers or Navy SEALs for Jesus to save us. We don't need to be the oldest person in our class or or the smartest in our book group for Jesus to save us. The simplest interpretation of 
The simplest example of salvation, I think, is found in Jesus going out on the Sea of Galilee to find his disciples. And he goes out to, to Peter and Andrew, and they're sewing nets by the seashore. And he says, lay down your nets and follow me. Lay down who you were. Lay down who you thought you needed to be. Lay down your guilt and your sin. Lay down your expectations. Lay down your peccadilloes and little white lies. I think sometimes people in the church, pastors and preachers and seminary folk, like to talk about the complexity of God's love and the complexity of atonement because it gets us out of the main thing and the real thing of actually transforming lives. And that sometimes the simplest command is the hardest. Turn your life around. Lay down your nets. Repent. For God is here for you. God is here for you. Jesus is here for you. Except that you don't have to rationalize the direction you've gone in your life. You don't have to give a reason for why you've been going down that road for so long. Except a new kind of life. He will pull you out of the cave. He will turn your morning into dancing. Let us pray. God of us all, you are always more ready to listen than we are to pray. Help us in this season to reach out to you, to have faith in you, to lay down our burdens at your feet and walk freely as children of light. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.